It's November 1st. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, some rare good news on the illegal migration front to tell you about with updates out of Haiti and El Salvador. But some bad news on this topic coming to us from the White House today. More on that in a bit. Second, if you are an auto worker or your community relies on them, some very good news. The six week long strike is over, but it might not be such good news if you are in the market for a new car. I'll explain that in a bit. Third, an update for you in our battle for the Pacific. A little island country that has mostly been on China's side might be coming over to ours. It's just going to take a really big check. Fourth, and speaking of China, Beijing just signed a big deal with the president of the South American country that is Colombia. But voters there just rejected leftist candidates all throughout that country and all because of that president. I'll tell you why we should care about that. Later, a series of listener questions today and reflections mostly focused on my taking a day off to enjoy Halloween. A surprising number of people said that that was wrong, with Amy from Minnesota saying that I should only take time off if I'm sick. So I will respond to all that feedback, plus a general status update for you on the Right Report podcast. But first, let's get to our top stories of the morning. Two pieces of relatively good news on the illegal migration front coming to us from the countries of El Salvador and Haiti. But there is also one bad piece of news coming to us from the White House. But let's start with the good news from Haiti, where airport authorities in the capital city of Port-au-Prince have shut down charter flights to the Central American country of Nicaragua. Now, as listeners know from my report last Thursday, charter companies from around the world have been operating dozens of flights each week full of migrants departing from Haiti and flying into Nicaragua. And that country, which, of course, is led by a communist radical named Daniel Ortega, he has in turn been pushing those illegal migrants onward to the United States, making our southern border crisis even worse. In fact, let's talk about just last Sunday. There were 12 charter flights from Haiti to Nicaragua full of illegal migrants, thousands in all. But as of Monday, those flights have stopped. Well, angry Haitians are now lashing out at the prime minister of Haiti, either demanding that he compensate them for their canceled checks, or they're just outraged that their plans to go to America have been scuttled. For what it's worth, the prime minister's office has not responded to why he did this exactly, but I'll keep you posted on that. Meanwhile, Haitians can still travel to the U.S. They just now have to travel to countries first, like nearby Dominican Republic, where charter flights continue to operate for illegals from that place, at least as of this morning. Also, no comment yet from the Nicaraguans on this move out of Haiti. But as I shared with you last Thursday, I suspect that President Ortega will be annoyed at least that's because he and his family and his party supporters have set up these massive number of migrant businesses to help facilitate the travel of all of these illegals. And that is a very lucrative business. Regardless, I will keep you posted on these developments, both in Haiti and in Nicaragua. From those countries, we head to another Central American country this morning with a bit more good news. The president of El Salvador has announced that he is slapping on a $1,000 tax on any traveler coming from either India or over 50 African nations. 
So this comes after President Bukele of El Salvador met with a senior U.S. State Department official where the two discussed ways to stop illegal migration or those transiting through El Salvador. And this tax to deter migrants, that was apparently part of the conversations. Now, to what extent this extra tax will actually work to remove El Salvador's a lily pad, as it were, for onward travel for these illegals, it's not exactly clear as of this morning. But this idea of taxing certain citizens that are likely to be illegal migrants, that is a growing concept. Other countries in Europe are actually doing the same thing. So those are the two pieces of relatively, if modest, good news about illegal migration coming to us out of Haiti and El Salvador this morning. Let me now pivot to the bad news, unfortunately, this from the White House. Yesterday, the national security spokesman John Kirby was asked if terrorists had crossed over our southern border over the past three years under Biden's time in office, including, of course, the 600,000 gotaways that came over just last year. Of course, those folks were not apprehended. Well, Mr. Kirby replied to the question by saying this, quote, I couldn't possibly answer that question. All I can do is tell you that we have remained vigilant to that potential threat, end quote. Mr. Kirby, however, did not explain what that vigilance exactly entails or how likely it was to be successful in stopping an actual terror attack. And on that note, Joe Biden's FBI director said yesterday that the terror threat to the homeland is at a, quote, whole other level end quote, since the terror attacks in Israel back on October 7th. This director, Director Ray of the FBI, he added that, quote, the actions of Hamas and its allies will serve as an inspiration to terrorists in the United States, the likes of which we haven't seen since ISIS launched its so-called caliphate several years ago, end quote. So those are the facts and data this morning. Two pieces of analysis now to give you. Let's start with that update out of Haiti. So when I was preparing this news for you, I saw a headline from the Associated Press describing these developments out of Haiti. And here's the headline and how they described it. Quote, Haiti bans charter flights to Nicaragua in a blow to migrants fleeing poverty and violence. End quote. Okay. well, here's the thing. Is that headline technically correct? Yes, it is a blow to illegal migrants that they cannot come to the U.S. as easily as they did before. Okay, so that is bad from their perspective, as the headline would suggest. But the headline could have also read this, quote, Haiti bans charter flights to Nicaragua as America reestablishes law and order on the border, end quote, or something to that effect. But the media didn't say that. Hmm. Why is that? Well, I think we all know why the Associated Press in this case has a deeply leftist bias, and that is reflected in the headline, which, as you might recall from my brief to you about fake news, headlines are, in fact, what most people read and not the actual articles themselves. At any rate, it is just another reminder, ladies and gentlemen, of how America's media landscape has a very clear bias, a very clear agenda, and it largely goes in one direction. And in this case, that is in support of open borders. Second, let's talk about the White House. Well, at least they were honest yesterday. They have no idea of how many terrorists have flooded into this country over the past three years. But we do know, at least from the FBI, that the current terror threat level is unlike anything that we have seen in years. And that actually matches the guidance that I gave you three weeks ago from my sources. In other words, my friends, I fear that we are about to find out 
how many terrorists and terrorist sympathizers that Mr. Biden has let into our country over these past years. And I fear the horrific cost. So may God be with us. Let's pray and more to come. With that, we turn to our second report of the morning. And this is good news if you're an American auto worker or your community is made up of those workers. But it might not be such good news if you're an American consumer. So let's start with the good news first, shall we? The auto strikes that lasted six weeks are all but over. And that's because Ford, GM, Stellantis, which, by the way, makes Chrysler and their related brands, they have all agreed to most of the demands of the United Auto Workers Union, or UAW. Ford was the first to settle up last week after the six-week strike. They agreed to a 25% wage hike for basic wages. Now, recall that UAW had asked for 40%, so they settled for a little bit less. Meanwhile, Ford also agreed to a bunch of other perks, like uh, faster promotions to higher wages, which will now be over $40 an hour. Plus, workers are getting a $5,000 ratification bonus when this new deal is eventually signed. Also, two weeks of paternity leave for new dads and $11,000 more a year for 401ks. Also, the union got Ford to agree to open more or reopened a number of plants in the country, building out and bringing in new jobs. So all in all, analysts note that this union deal got the best that these union workers could have hoped for and in fact have gotten in over 30 to 40 years. Well, after Ford signed on for this deal, so too did General Motors and Stellantis in pretty quick fashion with similar terms over the weekend. In the case of at least GM, even retirees and their spouses, they're going to get in on this too, about $2,500 a piece. So also affected in this deal, Toyota. We haven't talked about them. Um, That's because their workers were not part of this strike. But Toyota yesterday raised their wages effective immediately in order to be competitive with Ford, GM, and Stellantis. So as the dust settles on not only this deal, ladies and gentlemen, but also just this six-week strike, we are now getting a little bit better sense of how costly this strike was, at least for the automakers. The overall cost for Stellantis and GM was about $800 million apiece in lost profit. Ford was about $1.3 billion in lost profit. Those numbers were announced yesterday and over the weekend. Now, technically, this deal, while it is good news, I suppose you could argue, it's not done. Not exactly. Union members have to vote on each of these deals for each of these automakers over the next two weeks. But they are expected to agree to the terms. Again, they are described as lucrative by industry analysts. And so as that voting gets underway, workers will now have to return to job sites and start making those cars again. So as you would imagine, the union's president, his name is Sean Fain. He was just tickled pink with himself and his success. Quote, we know that the deal breaks records. We know that it will change lives. But what happens next is up to you all. End quote. Now, he was speaking to his union members, of course, but he could have also been speaking to the American consumer, too. And here's why. Ford expects to charge car buyers an extra $800 to $900 per vehicle to pay for all these extra costs. Although that might not ultimately be true. Ford exists in a market, so they are going to have to be competitive with others. There's also the possibility being raised by analysts that Ford and others are going to cut back on high quality but expensive parts and accessories. In other words, they're going to make your car cheaper in both cost but also in quality. And that could help preserve profit margins for these car companies, although you all might not be happy about that if you buy one of these cheaper quality cars. 
But the bottom line is nobody knows for sure what is now going to happen to both car prices and the auto industry. We're going to probably start to see the fallout or benefits, depending on your perspective, over the next year or so when it comes to America's car prices and the impact in our communities. More to come. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at writereport.substack.com, thank you. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, an equal thanks, and we'll be right back. Folks, if there were ever a product that you should consider, man, this is it. Jace Medical. They provide an emergency supply of prescriptions and antibiotics. And here's why you should consider them. As listeners know, I have spoken about how China and India control most of our prescription drugs, including antibiotics. Well, what happens if a war should break out over, say, Taiwan or maybe a pandemic again? Well, we all know what happens. Our supplies of critical products get interrupted, and that is not acceptable if your life depends on it. So that is why I am proud to tell you about JaceMedical.com. And here's how it works. You fill out a simple form at jasemedical.com. Then you speak with a board-certified physician. And within days, your order arrives at your home for emergency use. And I'll tell you, this is not for casual use, folks. Talk to your normal doctors for sniffles and such. This is for emergency use with potency lasting for years should the worst ever come. So, friends, go to jacemedical.com, enter promo code RIGHT, that is W-R-I-G-H-T, and you will get a discounted order. Again, that is promo code RIGHT at jasemedical.com. Well, the world is just awful lately, isn't it? And sometimes it makes you just want to crawl into bed and scream into your mattress to make it all go away. Well, if you do, just make sure that your mattress is made by GhostBed. Seriously, folks, GhostBed makes the finest mattresses on the market today with craftsmanship and high-quality materials that you can feel as you fall asleep. And I would know. I have their Lux model, and I bought it because I sleep hot, and that thing helps keep me cool all night long for a great night's sleep. Now, people have asked, how does this technology work to cool you? I don't know. Magic? Maybe little elves in there somewhere with ice cubes? Probably. But it doesn't matter. Their mattresses, ladies and gentlemen, are top-notch. And if you don't believe me, that's okay. They have a 101-day trial period plus free shipping and returns, so you can try it out in the comfort of your own home. So go to ghostbed.com backslash right. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And you can explore all of their incredible models. And right now, they are giving my listeners 40% off their Ghostbed purchases. But you got to use that code right. Again, go to ghostbed.com backslash right, W-R-I-G-H-T, and get yourself the good night's sleep that you deserve. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue our briefs this morning with a pivot towards international news. A good report coming to us this morning in our battle for the Pacific. So let's grab our maps on our phones or computers or in our minds and come with me to the island country of Kiribati. Now, to refresh our memories, I first introduced you to this great little island in our series, The Battle for the Pacific, all the way back on May 23rd. To refresh our memories once again, that battle is the fight between China and the U.S. for influence and supremacy in that region. Very, very important in the event that a war should ever come between our two nations. As I shared with you, Kiribati has been on China's side in this fight, and that's a shame for a few reasons. 
First, you hate to see a country this beautiful go to the dark side. Right? Kiribati, which was once known as the Gilbert Islands, it's got 33 little island and atolls surrounding it, some absolutely gorgeous beaches, and very few tourists or people in general, about 100,000 in all, actually. But the real shame and the real concern for us is that Kiribati sits only about 1,800 miles south of Hawaii. And having a Chinese threat there would be very bad for all of us here. And that threat has been growing. Kiribati has been firmly in China's camp since 2019, when the president of that little island country switched his allegiance from Taiwan to Beijing. And when he did that, the country got an immediate cash infusion of $66 million, plus immediate interest by the Chinese in rebuilding a very important airstrip. Ah, so that's the bad news. But here's some good news. Late last week, Australian and U.S. leaders announced that they would help rebuild a key wharf on one of Kiribati's islands called the Canton Island. For some quick history on this place, the wharf on that little island was key to U.S. military operations during World War II. But it had fallen into disrepair over the years. And Kiribati wants that rebuilt. Plus, they'd like a hotel, if you wouldn't mind. So the U.S. and Australia are doing their part to rebuild at least the wharf. Not so sure about the hotel. Plus, the White House also announced $29 million for, quote, youth employment, end quote. No idea what that is, but I'm sure it's good, right? <clears throat> Next, more good news. Kiribati has also pulled out of a Chinese program that is called the Belt and Road Initiative. Right? That is Beijing's scheme to promise to develop poor countries and their economies, giving them these very, very cheap loans. But critics have long argued that this, this idea of this Belt and Road Initiative and these cheap loans, it's actually part of something called a debt trap diplomacy. It leaves these countries deeply indebted that can never pay back all these loans. Well, in this case, it doesn't matter because Kiribati is out of that Belt and Road initiative as well. No word, though, on that very important airstrip that China really wants. We do know that Beijing surveyors went to the site back in March to scope out the building of a new international airport, but nothing has been announced since then. So that is the overall good news, at least if you're American or pro-U.S., not so much if you're in Beijing this morning. Let me now pivot away from those facts and data to my analysis and opinion. So, folks, again, if we're looking at our maps, the distance between Hawaii and Kiribati is about the same as it is from Seattle to Nashville. And that is a little bit too close for comfort for the Pentagon. So my understanding is that they have been pushing the White House for months now to yank little Kiribati back onto our team by whatever means necessary. And that ultimately means a big check or series of checks and probably some arm twisting, too. So it appears that that has, in fact, happened, that the Pentagon has been leaning on the White House to do this. And indeed, they made the move late last week and promising this new build out of the wharf. In other words, we're building and buying friends all around the world to include the folks in Kiribati. And whether or not you think that that foreign aid is wise, look, reasonable people can disagree for sure. But as I've offered you previously, if we are going to do this foreign aid, let it be focused on the countries that can best help us to counter China. And that's why, for me at least, this deal with Kiribati in the millions of dollars is generally a better way to spend our limited resources as compared to the billions of dollars that we are spending elsewhere. 
And actually, more to come on that tomorrow. Congress is voting on a billion-dollar aid package for both Ukraine and Israel. We'll dive into that tomorrow. Finally this morning, some good news if you're not a fan of socialism or communism. In the South American country of Colombia, their leftist president, a guy named Gustavo Petro, he just suffered a string of defeats politically all around his country. His fellow leftists lost to centrist and conservative lawmakers in the cities of Bogota, Medellin, Barranquilla, amongst many others. Indeed, voters in each of those cities voted out Mr. Petro's leftists and voted in conservatives for the positions of mayor, governorships as well, all swinging politically to the right. To the point, Mr. Petro's candidate in Bogota complained that his loss there was, quote, a punishment vote, end quote, all because the country is just so tired and disgusted with Mr. Petro's socialist policies. For what it's worth, political analysts in both Colombia and the United States agree with this assessment, as Mr. Petro has been rocked by a series of corruption allegations. In fact, I shared that with you all all the way back on June 8th, in case you missed that brief. But since then, he has also been dogged by his poor handling of crime and some terrible peace negotiations with leftist terror organizations. So I should remind us that this news and this country are both very important to us, not only if you don't like socialism or communism, but also this country affects our pocketbooks. So let's remind ourselves of that. Colombia buys a substantial amount of our wheat, corn and other ag products, over two point five billion dollars worth. There's also another twenty two billion dollars of our industrial goods that go to Colombian buyers each year as well. Plus, we send around $450 million, give or take, in foreign aid each year to that country, mostly in military assistance. So those are all some pretty good reasons to care about Colombia this morning and developments there politically. Uh, One quick final note here. Mr. Petro just signed a pretty big deal with China making Colombia a strategic partner of Beijing. Now, there are some economic benefits for both, but the real winner in this deal was China. They get bragging rights and some turf in America's backyard. So those are the facts and data this morning on how leftist politics and politicians are losing out in a very important country to us. That is, of course, Colombia. Let me now pivot to one quick observation and one touch of opinion. So in late August, leftist politicians from the U.S. went to Colombia to sit down and talk with Mr. Petro. Amongst them was the socialist representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and 11 others. As Ms. Ocasio-Cortez said, the reason that they went there was to have conversations with the president about, quote, a collaborative climate change centered post-colonial foreign policy, end quote. Hmm. In other words, American leftists went there for solidarity and talk about things like Marxist revolutions and their manifestations of it. But the voters in Colombia, well, apparently they heard and they saw all of that and they said, well, thanks for the talk, but we'd rather not. And given the track record of socialism and communism all around the world, that is very good news indeed. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. We'll be right back. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 
Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. It is listener feedback today sent to us from quite a few paid subscribers at rightreport.substack.com and listeners from platforms like Apple and Spotify. And the feedback that I got has to do with Halloween, or to be clear, my choice to take yesterday off to get the candy ready and enjoy the holiday. Well, doing that was apparently not acceptable, at least according to a pretty surprising number of folks who wrote in. So here's what one listener had to say. It's from Amy uh, near Minneapolis. Quote, thank you for your podcast, Brian. I I appreciate your stories and your takes on the world. I am frustrated, though, about the missing days like on Halloween. I wish you would develop some background content that you could insert on the days that you take off. I understand illness, but needing to take the day off to buy candy, that's a pretty poor excuse when you bill yourself as a daily news podcast. Maybe you should develop a relationship with someone who could guest host when you are not available. Respectfully, Amy. Well, to Amy and others who wrote in with a pretty similar take, including uh, one gentleman who suggested that I ask you all for your permission to take time off, Let me respond uh, to all that feedback with three things. First, I earnestly appreciate that everybody is writing in with both questions and feedback and critiques. Although I will tell you just quickly, I am behind on all of my responses. I'm working on it, but don't worry. I do read everything. I promise. Second, I welcome those critiques because it means that you all care about the podcast and the value that it brings and you don't want to lose it. And that brings me a ton of joy. Third, I think that these latest emails give me a great chance to update you all on things, uh, well, like why I don't have a guest host or why don't I have lots of great content uh, that I pre-recorded ready for days like Halloween. So let's talk about where things stand with the right report with updates on three important categories that inform why I don't have those things. First, let's talk about paid subscribers, second, advertisers, and third, promotion. First, let's talk about paid subscribers. As I shared with you back on August 19th and 26th, I shared with you a number of things. One, why I left my old podcast. Uh, Second, the the great joys and challenges of starting a new podcast. And why it was so and is so important to have paid subscribers. I said that it was my hope that I would get somewhere around 20 or maybe even 30% of listeners to become paid subscribers. And doing so would help me avoid having to lean on some pretty fickle advertisers as great as some are. Well, here's the update. About 10% of all the listeners have subscribed. And that's actually not too bad, even though my goal was a bit more, right? The average for most podcasts is around 2 to 10% of folks who are listeners who become paid subscribers. But in my case, what I will tell you is that those 10% of people who offer me a couple bucks a month, it means that I can continue operations. Because to put it bluntly, I would have probably had to shut this podcast down this fall had those 10% not contributed. There just weren't enough advertisers. So when I say thank you to my paid subscribers, holy smokes, I mean it. Now let's talk about those advertisers. And let's start with something that I did not know. One of the ad companies that I have worked with in the past told me that for many advertisers out there, these companies, I am too conservative and I am too controversial. And they are not willing to advertise with me given that risk as they say. So if you take that and you combine it with my unwillingness to sell you all things like weed and pills and powders, well, when you're trying to run a business, that means you've got a revenue problem. And that is especially true when you don't have a media corporation backing you, which I don't. And I've uh, I've chosen that on purpose. 
Being independent means that I get to bring you facts and data plus my analysis and opinion without some corporate overlord telling me what I can or can't say based on whatever they think or how it might potentially impact advertisers. And speaking of corporate backers, something you might not know that actually takes us to update number three about promotion. So podcasts generally grow because they have a, a CEO or a COO that picks up the phone and tells others in the industry, hey, I've got a new guy, promote him for me, would you? Well, that would be like me and my old podcast. But in my case now, I've got two challenges. First, I've got no corporate backers, so no CEO or COO to pick up that phone. Second, there <clears throat> are some very important people in the podcast world that have told other podcasts and other hosts, do not have Brian on as a guest. We do not want him to promote the right report. And that's because these people are, uh, well, they would prefer that I not succeed. Uh, it's a... Uh, it's a form of revenge, if you will, that makes sense if you listen to those episodes back in August. So those are the updates, and it gets back to Amy's critique, to her and, and others who wrote in. Let me just offer to you all, I would love nothing more than to hire more help, writers, researchers. I would love nothing more than to have a, a guest host or to record content and put it on the shelf for a vacation day. I would love to grow this podcast with promotions and have lots of advertisers or, or, or get 30% of all the listeners to become paid subscribers or donate via my Stripe account. But those things aren't happening, and I respect it because the market has spoken. So I am limited on what I can do, uh, Amy and others, in terms of all these other things that you would recommend, even though they're really great ideas. But here's the good news. I'm still working hard, and the future is pretty darn bright. And here is part of the reason why. Did you all know that amongst the folks listening today include congressmen and senators and their staff? Folks, this podcast is reaching some very important people who are making very important decisions about the future of this country. And I am honored to have their ear. And I'm honored to be able to do that mostly because of the 10% of listeners who are some of the most loyal and generous in the entire daggone podcast in space. I mean that. So to those of you who have given and that give me the opportunity to reach these important folks in Congress, just know that I am so grateful for you. And for everybody else who hasn't been able to contribute or simply can't, just know that I thank you as well. And I say that earnestly because I know that folks are hurting economically. So I appreciate your ears and your willingness as you're able to buy products and services from those great advertisers who are standing with me. So onward we go. And thanks to everybody. And now you have an update on the latest on the right report and why, yes, on occasion, I will need to take a day off. More good news to come. Folks, if you'd like me to answer one of your questions on the podcast, it's just darn easy to do, really. Either donate via my Stripe account, which you will find a link for in the show notes. Just make sure you leave your email. And I'll be in touch. Otherwise, go to writereport.substack.com, sign up, and at the bottom of each day's Substack post, you can leave me a comment or ask me a question. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John. 
chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.